Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. How are you from Portland? Hey, how's it going? Oh, going all right. Going all right. Like I was telling you beforehand, joys of fixing unit and browser tests. It's always the best part. Woohoo! That's what that's what we live for, right? It's just fixing unit tests. That's all we want to do with our days. Yeah, I, I just can't wait to get done writing a feature so I can focus on testing. It's the best. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> special guest today with us is Martins Victor. Welcome, Martins. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, everyone. Hi, guys. Welcome okay. to the show. Oh yes, yeah, it's, it's it's great to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me. Of course. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Martins, would you mind introducing yourself for those who are not familiar with you already? Okay, yeah. So I'm Martins, <laughs> and I've been into software development, precisely web development uh, for about six years now. And in the earlier days, I'd started off uh, learning how to code in Python, surprising. And uh, with Python, I, I only had a, a mobile phone then. It was a Symbian, Symbian S, S60 version series, sort of. And, uh, you know, those ones really quite apart. And uh, for some reason, I don't, I don't know whose idea it was, but for some reason, the mobile phone had a Python interpreter integrated in it. So I, I started off learning how to code with that phone. I built a couple of uh, small applications uh, to automate small things like send messages or turn on Bluetooth, you know, send files kind of things, uh, those small things. And uh, over time, I got more interested in uh, technology and I went ahead uh, to learn uh, JavaScript. Then I did uh, HTML and CSS on the side. And uh, yeah, really, it's been, a, uh, it's been a roller coaster from then up until now. Worked uh, with a handful of companies here in Nigeria and outside Nigeria. Yes, I'm originally from Nigeria. I've worked with companies are remotely here in Nigeria and mostly in Germany and Hungary. And uh, in those parts, years, I've transitioned from working with several JavaScript frameworks uh, from the likes of React.js and AngularJS and most recently Vue.js. So it's been Vue for a while now, I think about two years now, and pretty much falling in love with it. So I think I'd say I'm a full-stack engineer, full-stack web developer, and currently working with uh, the team at uh, the team at, at Inonix, or uh, the parent companies for for some of these tools you see online, uh, Coda Rank and uh, a couple, a couple others, Optimonk and the like. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's that's basically me in uh, summary. Awesome. What what brought you to Vue specifically as your uh, front end framework of choice? So for me, I think it was the simplicity. <laughs> I 
I know for for certainty, I, I have delved into several frameworks, mostly because of curiosity. I have a tendency to tinker around things. And uh, with React.js, I think, React.js, I didn't stay too long. <laughs> I think the major issue I had with React was state management, how crazy it can get. But coming into view, I see how everything is simplified and you don't really have to refine your mind into thinking of uh, building components in a, a new type of way. It's just the regular way you build stuff. Uh, the way you write your HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, they just let you start off. And then the learning curve is uh, pretty smooth, so it's easier for anybody to jump on it and start working with it. So yeah, that was mostly the reason. One thing that drew me to interview was mostly that simplicity. Yeah, I completely agree with that. When I started with Vue, it was the same thing. I was coming from using PHP and jQuery mostly mm-hmm. and started learning React. Didn't quite click click with me at the time. Switched to learning Vue and was like, oh, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want <laughs> in a tool. It's exactly. just so easy to get started and get going. So you exactly. could say you didn't have a good reaction to React then, is that it? <laughs> I did not have a good reaction to React. <laughs> that, that was a good one. <laughs> I mean, perhaps I overreacted, but I don't think so. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yes, I think I, I think for view, the simplicity sells it, basically. Definitely. And I did some quick Googling, and it looks like you've also done a lot of blogging on programming as well, including topics on Vue as well as Laravel. Did you get into Laravel Woo! because of Vue? Yeah, right? Did you get into Laravel from Vue, or did you get into Laravel just from your exploration of backend technologies and then it conveniently also supported Vue. What was your what was your path there on learning? Okay, so my it's a funny story. With Laravel, I I actually never found I, I didn't exactly find Laravel for myself. I, it was more of a say learn on the job kind of thing. So I had to work for a company at the time and they wanted a backend engineer. The problem was they didn't specify what technology. Well, I was a backend engineer at the time, but I was writing Node.js, right? And I was like, yeah, 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 I can do the job. I'm a backend engineer. And um, they gave me the job. And uh, I came on board and realized that they actually used Laravel. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I have to learn Laravel. So I took like a ninth and I basically devoured the entire documentation just so I could understand how Laravel works. And the next morning, I think I, I raised my first PR. <laughs> I think I raised my first PR uh, in a language I'd never written. Uh, that was PHP. At the time, I had not written PHP before. I'd also not done anything Laravel related before. So it was really something that I, Laravel was something I had to learn on the spot as a requirement for, for the company I was working with at the time. However, Vue, I had found a view uh, while I was looking for alternatives to React. <laughs> so I was looking for something else that wasn't React but was going to get the job done. And that was how, really how I stumbled on Vue. Oh, and then I found, oh, they do have a perfect sync. And yes, I, I wrote a bit of uh, um, articles on Laravel and Vue because at the time, it was really a great relationship, both of them. And uh, because of uh, Laravel's um, strict um, ideology around uh, composing backend APIs and how Vue has its simplicity, for me, 
both of those technologies were were a perfect match. And while I was learning, I was writing at the same time, and it, it was a it was a great experience for me. Really, it was it really was a great experience. Hey, you're in pretty much the same boat I'm in, in that I came in with you know a few years of viewer experience to my current job, but it, and I I'd been working in Drupal. And so I knew PHP, but I didn't know Laravel at, all, Bell at all. So I've been learning Laravel on the job for the past six months. We actually have a podcast episode about it a couple uh, months ago with my boss. So yeah, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about in, that, in terms of knowing you and having to learn Laravel too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I believe having to, having to learn Laravel on the spot really helped me understand, um, really helped me understand how to structure because the, the one thing the one thing about uh, Node.js was that there wasn't really a uniform way or a universal way to structure your uh, Node.js backend code. I mean, you, could, you could basically write everything in one JavaScript file, and you know it would work, but it's not it's not easy to maintain. Or with Laravel, for me at the time, it was really that structure that was put into um, building it that made me fall in love with it at the time. So yeah, uh, Laravel for me was, learning it was actually a great experience. Yeah, I've been meaning to dive more and more into Laravel. I'm working at it with it right now at work as well. And I've used PHP in the past. It just, I don't know, something about it seems really nice how it integrates with Vue and it's just, they're meant to work together in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and there's been there's been uh, several iterations and up- updates. I mean, they recently moved from uh, from using Bootstrap to using Tailwind CSS. Yeah. Uh, so basically, when you scaffold a new Laravel application, I think with version um, seven and eight, Laravel now scaffolds with you know Tailwind. I think they're trying to stay modern and all. So it scaffolds with Tailwind CSS. Puts oh, that's it, awesome. Have you seen Jetstream? Oh yeah, I have. And Jetstream, what's cool about Jetstream is that it uses Inertia.js, which is something I've become a real huge fan of. On on, a, on JavaScript Jabber, we interviewed uh, Jonathan Reinick, the guy that creates uh, created Inertia. Uh, he's good friends with Adam Wathen. And he and I still stay in touch and talk once in a while. But they Inertia is basically the middle. It creates a monolith where you... Uh, can glue together a front and a back a back end, and it just handles the passing the data back and forth. So if you look on their GitHub repo, they have a site demo called Ping CRM, which uses Laravel on the back and view on the front. But what Jetstream does with Laravel is when you spin up a new, I just I'm working on a project with it right now. When you spin it up with Jetstream, it's using inertia with Tailwind, and so it has the whole yeah. you know user authentication feature right. set built in. So it's just really slick. And then once you understand view and inertia, then you can just, you know, jump right in and start tweaking it and adding to it and building on top of it. So it's really slick. Yeah. Yeah. I did see that that upgrade. Uh, I think they had they had first they had abstracted the uh authentication logic for Laravel into a single package called Fortify. Mm-hmm. So you can use it out of the box or you can use it wherever you want to without uh, in or out of Laravel. And then they moved ahead to remove the uh, previous package Laravel UI and then presented Jetstream. So Jetstream was basically like the um, front-facing part of the Fortify authentication system. Right. So, and then it provides you with basically everything that has to do with authentication, including 
um, issuing API tokens and all of that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it's really, it's really a great framework. Honestly. Yeah, it's quite amazing at what you get just spinning up out of the box. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, I know what I'm doing after this episode's done. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing on the list of things to go play with. Yeah. Basically. Mm -hmm. Well, cool. Martins, we asked you to come here partially so we could talk about some of your blogging, specifically about blog posts you did about web workers in Vue applications. So let's let's dive into that at this point. And first off, I think this, this might be a newer concept to some developers, especially newer developers who haven't heard of this yet. What are web workers? What I, I've heard of service workers. I know service workers from progressive web apps, but what's a web worker? Okay, so the... The same way you have our processes in, say, in Node.js environment, they're like on tiny uh, bits of your entire system. This is pretty much the way web workers work in, in the browser. So what they are really is they are, they are basically scripts or subscripts, uh, more like of your actual JavaScript file. Say, for example, you had a, a JavaScript file called parent.js, and you want to be able to communicate between two JavaScript files, right? What you could do is spin up a web worker, more like a thread from the actual uh, JavaScript file. That's the parent.js, right? So what that does is it helps you take away um, lots of load or execution and, you know, task from the main thread, right? And lets you delegate all of those tasks or however much you want to uh, to a subtrade, right? So what this does, it, it, it doesn't, actions that happen or activities that happen on the web worker thread, on the worker thread, they don't affect your user interface. You understand how JavaScript can be blocking. So whenever you have like a JavaScript file, a long running process running on your main thread, uh, you mostly find that Either the browser is stuck or waiting for that process to complete before you're able to interact with the page, right? So if you were to delegate certain parts of that uh, long-running process to some guy somewhere, right, just give it to the janitor or something to fix and uh, have some your main thread handle lighter tasks, it helps reduce that wait time uh, to interactivity, right? And it helps you delegate tasks easily to, like, especially long-running processes to other threads that would not um, affect your main thread, right? So what web workers really are are just, uh, are just background threads, right? Threads that run in the background and they perform tasks that do not interfere with your main thread or your user interface, right? So in, uh, in a nutshell, that's really what uh, web workers are. All right, so let me clarify a couple of things then real quick. First of all, these run in the browser, correct? Yeah. As do. obvious as that may sound, just in the browser as compared to like Node, you know, mm -hmm. running on a server. And so yeah. what it sounds to me like is it's basically sort of mimicking the Node event loop in that, exactly. in that it gives you the ability to say, hey, go do this job. I'm going to go finish what I'm doing. When you're done, come back to me and let me know or something along those lines, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. yeah. So... Okay, so two questions then. Uh, one, you know, I can think of long-running processes on a server, you know, where you're queuing up jobs to go process data, get data from an API and update your database, something like that. 
what are what can you give me some good examples of what a long running process would be in a browser? Okay, say for example, I had a list of customers, or say I had a list of uh, staffs, and let's assume I need to calculate how much I have to pay them at the end of say four months, and each of these workers are paid per hour, and say. I want to perform that task at a go. Say I have a single function that takes all of the staff and how many hours they've worked. Say I have a fixed amount to pay per hour and I want to make that calculation for say, I, right now I can't say how many staff there are. So let's just assume that there's a ton of them and I need to make that calculation. If on the UI, on the user interface, I would probably have say a button when I click on it and it's just going to, a button that says calculate and I click on it, it's going to call that function and send all the arguments that needs to be passed in and then the function starts running. So that process right there, you can tag a long running process because you cannot, for one, you cannot determine how many stuffs you have to process for. You cannot determine how long it's going to take to complete that job for you know it's going to become the end, but you can't determine how long. So one thing you'd usually do is probably uh, put a loader on the page and, uh, you know, have to wait until that's done before, you know, providing interactivity back on the page. So in those kind of cases, if it's not important, right, if response is not important to the user to see immediately, those kind of processes can be delegated to workers and when that process is completed, the worker is able to send messages in, in correct terms, post messages to the main thread and tell them, oh, it's done, it's ready. And, you know, you could just like maybe show a fancy pop-up that uh, the user can click back, you know, to that page for all, whilst they're allowing them to do other things on the page. Those kind of things. So that's one very applicable uh, scenario. So why would you do that in the browser as compared to running something like that from your back end on the server? Well, technically, you wouldn't want to do that on, on, your front, on the front end or in the browser. So that's pretty much a, an abstract example. Okay. I know, I know there would be cases where people might, be, might have to perform um, huge calculations, probably non, nothing that has to do with, say, a list of stats or anything of sorts. But in cases where you need to uh, perform, say, huge calculations, uh, that's one way, that's one scenario. Okay, but this, the general idea, though, is that you have some process that needs to run, maybe not the example you just gave, but some process you want to run from the front end, you, and you don't want to lock up your screen and, and stop any page functionality from being usable by the user, so you hand it off to the web worker so you can keep, they can keep using the site. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I think one example might be some sort of image processing. If you're building a client-side app that can either handle images or allow you to edit images, if you need to do any processing or pre-processing on a photo, that might be something useful to pass over to a web worker so that the main thread is able to continue running your application and they feel like everything is moving smoothly. Yes, that's a very good example. And that way you're not passing the photo over the wire, which because it potentially could be a large image. You're not having to pass that to a server, do the processing over there and send it back. Yeah, that, that's correct. Okay, so in your blog post, you have some pretty good detailed instructions on how to do this. But can for the purpose of a podcast, can you do a little mouth coding and just describe 
I'm always into the details on how you set something up, how you would set up a web worker and a view project and like what files you use, where you put them, that kind of thing. Okay. So for the example I gave on the, on the blog post, I tried to make it as simple as possible. I'd use the view, view three and um, there I'd just use the, the view CDN link on a, on a basic um, HTML page. Inserted view CDN link, piece of styling here and there. And uh, on the setup, I, I basically, you will basically have to set up the app, you know, set up data if you need to use computer properties and whatnot. But the most important part is uh, the data attributes and then your methods. Uh, so for that particular example, I created um, a method to fetch um, using the... So there's an open source API where you can fetch random data or images of dogs. I'm a huge fan of dogs, by the way. So <laughs> I, I picked that out and then I, I'd send, I, I created a method to fetch um, random images of dogs. And for, for every 10 seconds, so the, the big idea, the big picture really was to do this. For every 10 seconds, I have a counter that counts down to 10 and then counts down to another 10. So every 10 seconds, I count down or up to we fetch a new image. However, we, do not, we don't want uh, that counter to be on our main thread. We only want to fetch the image on request from the counter. So the counter is going to basically run forever. And that's uh, something I think can be delegated somewhere else. It's not it doesn't necessarily have to run on our main thread. So in that case, we, we first create, say, Java, our entry file, like app.js. Uh, so within this entry file is where we're going to set up our view instance. So we set up our view instance, we set up the method. You have a method there that uses the fetch API to send a request to the dog API and gets a response back. And then we set the response from that request. We set the response to the dog image property. Uh, so we can use it on front end. So on that, on that part, we then created the mounted uh, hook. So in the mounted hook, we call the dog API the first time, right? So the first time we want to see an image, right? So the first time we'll call the API. Call. And then we'll also do something. We'll set a listener on that page. So the main purpose of the listener is to listen on events or to listen on messages from the worker thread. So because the worker thread does not have the same scope as the main thread, the only way to inform the main thread that there's been a change or this, uh, there's been an update in data or a state change is to post the message. So the worker thread posts the message and then we have to set that listener on the main thread. So our app.js is really our main thread where we're setting up our view instances, our main thread. So we set up that listener there. So we have to set up the listener on the main thread while the messages will be posted from the worker thread, right? So on the main thread, we set the worker uh, listener, listen for uh, the message using the on message function. So on message, uh, we, we get the event. And within that event property, there's going to be a data, a data object that's going to contain 
whatever data is passed with that message. So for example, if I um, say every 10 seconds, I want to send a string called, hey, it's plus 10 seconds now. So that string would be the data, all right? So whatever we send within the post message function is going to be the data. So for that part, we're going to set the, the listener on message. It receives that event and then pulls the data from that event and then sends the request again if the, the data from that message, from that event, if the, if the data from that event is divisible by 10. So that just tells us it's been 10 seconds since the last count. So basically, if you check through that uh, code example, you see for that part within that mounted hook, that's pretty much all that's going on in there. And then we have the the major part of of the the entire blog. That that's the worker thread. So the worker thread you can decide to put it within any file you want, name it whatever you want, uh, worker.js, um, really anything, right? And but whatever you name that file is the same way you have to import the file in your main thread. So for the example, I given that the worker file was named uh, worker.js, right? And uh, within that file, basically, we're just setting a counter for every second. It counts every second. And then every time every time the counter hits um, 1,000, we, we uh, reset the counter back. So, of course, we can leave it to run for however long it wants. So it's going to keep making that request every 10 seconds for... Uh, it's not it's not necessary to set a limit there, but the interval is always going to to run as long as we don't clear uh, as long as we don't clear it, right? So you notice that every second, right? Every one seconds we call the post message function. So the post message function is globally available within that worker file, and then we pass in the value of counter at that time. So this value of the counter is pretty much that data property right we receive on the on message event right so that data property is going to contain a number it's going to contain the current count right that's the current value for counter so you now understand why we are checking if that current count is divisible by 10 to know if it's uh, if it's been 10 seconds since the last count so also one major thing we did there was uh, to check, you see, the first thing we did within the main thread was to check if worker is supported in the browser. So to do that, we just need to check that the worker object exists on the window object. So we just do an if statement, you know, check uh, window.worker. So if it's available, then <laughs> we can do all of these things. So next line we import, we have to import the worker file. So we import the worker file from there. And that worker file is going to be the instance of that worker. So we can use that instance to listen on events. So whenever an event happens, whenever the post message function is called, we can receive that event and pull whatever data is sent with that event. So pretty much that basically the, the whole integrity around it. Of course, we can come up with com more complex examples and more real-world use cases, but this is, a, this is just a, a basic example. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. 
We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So looking at the uh, the API for sending messages, it looks like in, in your code, you had to do a worker.post message to initiate the worker starting the counter. Is that correct? Exactly. So that's okay. correct. So the first time the first time you import the worker file, you need to initiate the counter. And so sending an empty post message to the to from the worker instance would automatically call this worker file and then start counter immediately from there on. You notice okay. we have an on message event handler within the worker.js file. So the on message is basically that listener. So as soon as a post message is called in the main file, in the main, that's the parent JavaScript file, on message events is triggered. So post message is part of the worker itself. It's not something you had to write, correct? That's how it's sending its message back to the main thread? Yes, that's how it, that's how messages is sent to gotcha. and from. Yeah. Okay. And so just to make sure, it looks like from the API that each worker can only have one real function that it does. And if you're really needing multiple functions that are in web workers, you should create multiple web workers. Is that correct? Am I reading that properly? Yes, yes, you are. So there are, you can you can spawn um sub workers, right? And really the purpose of web workers is to have them perform one particular task. However, you can of course perform multiple tasks, but it becomes complex when you have to send um, messages to the um, main thread and then have to listen on multiple messages. I, I think the only, the major issue that comes with using a single worker file is um, readability, I believe. So as much as it's possible to use a single worker file, it's advisable to split it, um, you know, have multiple scripts and then import the script. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I guess my other question, as far as a view application is concerned, is what happens if I have spawned a web worker, whether or not it's doing a repeated task like a counter, I've, I've created a web worker on a page, but then I navigate away from that page. Do I need to tear down that web worker? Is there a method that I can use to do that? Or is that something that's just handled because the reference is no longer there to the worker? Okay, so if you close the tab, Right, browsers automatically do that for you. They basically um, clear up whatever JavaScript are running at that time. However, if you can, if you need that uh, web worker to stop running, if you say navigate to a different page, and um, you can easily do that by calling the terminate function. So every web worker has a terminate method on them, right? That lets you easily terminate that worker whenever you want to programmatically. Right. Well, by default, if you exit a page, like by closing the tab, that is, browsers would would uh, mostly do that for you. So the, the major challenge, how I came to start exploring web workers with Vue.js, I think uh, it was one instance I had to build uh, a game. It, it was for a client at the time. And this game really required uh, users to answer trivia within a uh, specific time frame. So one, one loop that was found uh, was that whenever users on their mobile phone minimize this, the, uh, the application or the browser to do something else, the 
the browser automatically slows down anything on the main thread, any interval running on the main thread, any counter that's running on the main thread. It slows it down very, very, by, by very significant seconds and then you milliseconds and then you can almost tell that it's stopped altogether so it, it seems like users can head over and check the answers for trivias and head back and it wouldn't look like the time moved so that was something browsers mobile browsers were able to do to maximize and, and minimize the um, consumption of uh, memory and all so one way to mitigate that was to use I had to make research uh, for ways to mitigate that issue. So that was how I stumbled on uh, working with uh, workers. So I, I noticed browsers have a tendency to, you know, get rid of JavaScript files that they feel isn't in use at the time. So that's something browser would naturally do for you, terminating the workers when you close the tab. Or you could also programmatically do that by calling the terminate method on the, on the worker. Cool. That makes sense. My last question on, on workers, this this is, first off, this is a great article. Anyone wanting to know about this uh, should go and read it as well. But also, is there anything within a worker that you cannot do? Is there, is there some limit to what APIs are accessible within a web worker? Oh, yes. So the workers, they run in another global context that's different from the window context, right? And because of this, uh, right, um, you cannot use some objects that exist within the window object, right? So in place of, uh, say, using window.location, for example, to get, say, information about your URL, right, you have to use uh, the, the base object within the worker file. It's called uh, self. So because it's, because it's, it's uh, wrapped around an object called uh, the dedicated, I think it's called the dedicated worker, Dedicated worker global scope or something around that line. So that object, right, is dedicated to every instance of a worker, right? And within that within that scope, you do not have access to the window object. And this is one major issue people tend to run into whenever they start using web workers without understanding understanding the scope within which they run. So you cannot use some window objects, but you can use a handful of them. There are some that are available within the self object. So the self object is really how, it's an equivalent for the window objects really, but within a web, a web worker file, right? It's more like, it acts more like a window proxy, right? Or with limited access to window APIs and window objects. So, but of course you, you, you'd have access to other, of APIs like the web sockets and you know other local data storage mechanisms uh, like uh, index DB and the likes. So I'd still have access to console log if I need to do some testing. <laughs> Bringing it back yeah, to the beginning yeah. of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course, of course, you still, you still do. Oh, that's good. Cool. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about before we? Uh, move on with the show. This has been great. I've really appreciated you being here to talk about all this. I have one more yeah, thing yeah, to mention yeah. here, Lindy. So okay. the blog post, in the blog post, you know, you made the, the point of doing it just from scratch, from the ground up with no tools. And I noticed you mentioned there is a view worker 
plugin library that you can use. And I'm just looking at the NPM page for it. It looks like it's pretty straightforward and it's just basically a wrapper and then it creates a uh, worker object on the view, something on the view object so that you can just mm -hmm. access it from inside your component. Yeah, yeah. So I, I had looked into view worker first before finding the, uh, you know, ground up way to do it. And I, I figured it was really a wrapper around it. And the only issue I had with it was it was, uh, you know how deep nested JavaScript libraries can be. So it was a wrapper around simple web worker. Right. So it's like a wrapper around a wrapper. And uh, for me, as much as that uh, simplifies how you work with it within a view file, it also takes away that opportunity to understand really how um, everything works um, on the right. ground. And funny enough, how to understand how everything works on the ground is like pretty simple. So I weighed the odds. I weighed the odds and it also seemed like because they were, they were like abstracted functions, say things like um, worker.run and, you know, functions that the library provides you, you might be able to use those. But in reality, you really don't have worker.run, right? So if you're taking out of the, a few contexts or you don't have that library to work with, it might be harder for you to understand or you might have to do a relearning of how web workers actually work. Right. But I, I, I think one bit of it I, I think I'd give kudos for is the fact that it's, uh, it, it wraps properly around the, the, the web worker, the web worker API and, you know, abstracts a lot of things for you. And the API that it provides you to work with, and they're pretty simple. But last I checked, it wasn't uh, updated for view three. So I, I think that was another setback at the time. The way you install it, it, it wouldn't work on latest version of Vue.js. So you have to, um, if you were using a view three project, you pretty much cannot use it. So you have to go back to barebone. So for me, I felt like, okay, I should uh, focus on, you know, explaining how to do it from the ground up. So regardless of wherever environment you are in, as long as it's a JavaScript environment, you can, you know, use web workers however you want to. Yeah, I was going to say, looking at the, the package, it hasn't mm. been updated in four years. I'm not sure we're going to see an update to, uh, to support Vue 3 as well, which yeah, I, guess, I, I guess gives an opportunity to someone else to make a Vue 3 worker. Mm -hmm. I, I, I see that considering how easy it is or how quickly uh, the JavaScript community <laughs> makes libraries these days. It won't be too far fetched. Yeah. Well, great. Martins, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been an excellent conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking. Of course. Hey, folks. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? 
And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. At this point, we'll move on to picks. Picks are the part of the show where we share things with the community that we like. It doesn't have to be programming related. And I will start with passing it to Steve. Okay, so I'll start off with the my new uh, weekly tradition of the dad joke of the day. And so actually, I'll, I'll combine a few of them together. You know, I've, over my uh, long working history since college, I've had a number of jobs. And I've been fired from a few. Like my first job out of college was for a bank a large bank. And I got fired because this elderly lady came in and asked me, she wanted to check her balance. And so I pushed her over and they didn't like that. And then I used to work at a calendar factory and they got fired me and all I did was take a couple of days off. But the latest one was, I was really kind in a, on a bus. I gave my, gave up my seat to a blind person who needed a place to see, sit, but that was how I lost my job as a bus driver. So anyway, that's part of my sorted work history. And then to go along with that, I found this great new resource. And if anybody who's been around the web since it started remembers the I Can Has Cheeseburger website, I think it was cat pictures and stuff like that. I found a great website called I Can Has Dad Joke. And it's a great repository of dad jokes. I Can Has Dad That's H A Z. And what's really cool about it is. One, you can, there's a place where you can add your own, submit your own jokes to be shown on the site. But two, as a developer, they have an API. So you can, you know, if you're building, say, a view site, you could use a web worker to hit the I can has dad joke API and get a new dad joke to display on the front page of your site. So they've got a slash API is their uh, page for how to use the API. And so, yes, that's my pick of the week. Great, thank you. I will go next, let Martin's rest his voice a little bit. So I'm going to have two picks. One is a game, and I am a huge fan of Magic the Gathering. Been playing far too long. Started playing when I was in school, went to a, a summer camp and saw some kids playing. And just recently, they released a version of their current digital version of the game, Magic the Gathering Arena, for they recently released the mobile version of the game. So on Android and iOS, you can now play Magic the Gathering. And it's been a lot of fun. The interface actually works. Uh, I'm using an iPhone 12 mini, so it's a little small, but it's pretty good considering what they're working with. My other pick is a view-related piece, and that is Vue.js Global Summit, which is happening on May 4th and May 5th this year. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And it looks like it's going to be a very large conference put together by a group called Geekle. And they've got speakers from AWS, from Microsoft, from a whole bunch of different companies. Uh, it's supposed to be 14 hours of tech talks. I will also be giving a talk at this global summit, sounds like. And I am very excited about that. So stay tuned and hope you enjoy that when you get there. Martins, what is your pick today? Okay, so I think my pick for, would be the View 3F. SFC Playground. So I think uh, recently, I'm not sure if that was last week or earlier in the week, the Vue team had um, announced the release of uh, you know a playground, a Vue.js playground for Vue 3 single file components. And uh, it's sfc.vuejs.org. So it's pretty much your plain old JS bin, but specifically for Vue 3 
I think you can also write Future there as well. But, you know, it already has a spin-off, a single file component for you. You know, you can start tinkering around some G3 API, some changes, you know, here and there and see how it works. And it has a real-time update on the left, the preview where you can see what your site looks like or your component looks like. And you can also, if you're someone who likes tinkering under the hood, there are several tabs to look into the JavaScript file that was generated. You could also see the CSS file as well. So yeah, it's a, that's one of my major picks. I think actually my, my only pick uh, for the week. So yeah, I, I think everybody needs to check it out. sfc.vuejs.org. And, you know, start tinkering with Vue 3. I, I know a lot of uh, Vue.js uh, developers have been skeptical about jumping on Vue 3. I know some of us have reservations with the, you know, new APIs. And, oh, but, you know, before you actually give it a, a shot, you could just uh, head over to sfc.vuejs and, you know, tinker around, see how it works, you know. So, yeah, that's it for me. Great, thank you. I especially appreciate that the playground starts with the script setup tag as its default. I very much, I, I love working with that whenever I get the chance. Very yeah. much looking forward to it being standard across applications, if it can ever get that far. Yeah, sure. So before we go, I'd like to say for the record that uh, I was very disappointed that out of all my dad jokes, I didn't get one laugh. I don't know if you guys were on mute or not, but you know that's pretty crushing for a comedian to get stonewalled <laughs> like that. So. <laughs> I, I was on, I was on mute. I was I was laughing slash groaning along with it. It was great. I was laughing on the inside. Yeah, I've heard that line before. I, oh, I, it was on the outside. You just couldn't hear me. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a great excuse. I'll, I'll go with that excuse as well. Okay, all right, <laughs> whatever works. <laughs> awesome, Martins. Where can people find you so they can continue this conversation? Okay, so on our Twitter. My, I, I think my Twitter handle is, uh, so it, it's really much uh, Twitter, but hmm, yeah, how do I say this? Funny thing, I didn't realize my Twitter handle was uh, technical to pronounce until today. That is that's odd. But uh, you can reach me on Twitter. It's uh, this.onoha. So it's, uh, it's like, an, you know, the same way you have this dot that is dot in Vue.js. <laughs> so just do this dot on SEF. So that's uh, pretty much how to reach me. But you can use uh, at Onoha official on Twitter. I think on my email as well, I'm actually very open to emails. And I, I realize most times uh, people find it easier to reach me via GitHub issues. That is weird, but that, <laughs> that seems to have been working too. There's an open source project I've been working on countries now. And sometimes people just uh, reach me from from uh, raising issue, issues on the, I don't know, communication has uh, has taken a nosedive in this age. So I think that's also, that's also one way. It'd be great if people can join me on that uh, space, GitHub space, and uh, contribute to the project as well. We have a handful of contributors right now on the project. It's called Countries Now. It's a project for getting countries-related data uh, from population to population sets us to um, you know location, latitude, and longitude, countries' flags and countries' states and capitals. You know, and without having to hard code those 
data or install yet another JavaScript library for it. So it's just an easy way to, you know, make your front-end applications lighter. Uh, use APIs where you can instead of uh, libraries. Yeah. So on email, on Twitter, I can reach them on either, either of those channels. Uh, we'll, put all, we'll put those links in the show notes too. So. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you again, Martins. This has been excellent getting to talk to you. Yeah, it's been awesome. It's been awesome talking. And hope you all enjoyed this episode as well. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us at viewsonview.com or devchat.tv. You can also find us on Twitter at viewsonview. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay K. Wardell. And you can find Steve on Twitter at wonder95. I hope you have a great rest of your day and see you again next time. Adios. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.